This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. Welcome to the show. My name is Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough is on my left. Danny Bailey in the booth making everything work. Big Friday, of course. You know, I always hate saying it, Sandy, when you say like, We have a lot to get to today because it's so sticky, right? I mean, that's the standard sports talk radio thing when you actually don't have that much to get to. They say, like, oh, we got lots to get to. But we but actually it do. Is a football Friday. It is a football Friday. The Broncos have their most consequential game in many, many seasons, of course. The- I, I can't think of a more consequential December game that the Broncos have played since maybe the Monday nighter against Cincinnati in weeks 16. <laughs> I screwed up now because it's an 18-week season right. now. And back then in 2015, it, of course, was a 17-week season with 16 games. So it's actually week 16. And it was a Monday nighter with the Cincinnati Bengals. And A.J. McCarron had replaced Andy Dalton, who was injured, as the starting quarterback for Cincinnati. And Brock Osweiler had replaced the injured Peyton Manning as a Denver quarterback. And I'll never forget the first two series of the game for Cincinnati against that great Denver defense. They did what no other team did that year before that particular game or after, even in the playoffs. Quarterbacks after were And there were some great playoffs they faced in the playoffs. But A.J. McCarron was playing at that point as well as Andy Dalton, who in 2015 was having a career year. And he took the Bengals down for touchdowns in the first two drives of the game, not aided by turnovers, short fields, and all that. They were two long drives against that great Denver defense. The Bengals went ahead 14 to nothing. And then for reasons that eight years later I still don't quite comprehend, the Bengals decided to sit on the lead and stop throwing. They had thrown their way down the field to two touchdowns, and they stopped throwing the ball. And the Broncos did what they often did that year. Just proceeded to grind their way back into the game. The defense stiffened, of course, against the run. And Cincinnati lost its feel. The Broncos got the game to overtime. And eventually, in overtime, won the game on a strip sack that set up the game-winning field goal for Brandon McManus. And that was the game that put the Broncos into the playoffs. Now, it was not the game that put them into the number one seeded position. They needed to beat San Diego, the then San Diego Chargers, on the final Sunday of the 2015 regular season. And I suppose that was a big game, too. But Cincinnati was a juggernaut that year. And even more so than New England, down the stretch that year, Denver and Cincinnati were the two best teams in the market. They both came into that game with matching 11-4 and records. And the Broncos had lost their previous two games coming into that game against the Bengals. Of course, this started a run of wins at which... Did they not end. Uh, they went not to the end of the season that, and, that and went started to the Vince Lombardi yeah. Trophy in Super Bowl 50. But you're right. But I mean, you have it's to easy go to look back, back at that and think that, you know, that was McCarron and complete. But the Bengals were 11-4, and four, and that's all the way we're going back to the, the Super Bowl season. So this is an enormously important game for the Broncos. And the uh, opportunity, given the way this team started, uh, 0-3, 1-5, starting 0-3 at home, 
Yeah. I mean, it is basically, a, and, and you've talked about it, the Broncos have never started 0-4 at home. Never. So not you, even in the AFL We're days. talking about the worst ever, at least equal to, the worst ever start at home in the history of the Denver Broncos. Uh, a game in... Uh, a series of games in which they gave up 70 points and very easily had the Miami Dolphins <laughs> wanted to could have set the new NFL record for points in a regular season game. It was purely because the Dolphins didn't feel like doing it. And now here we are with the Broncos. Were they to win tomorrow with the Raiders and the Chargers still left on the schedule? And we saw what happened there last night. We'll talk more about that as well. Uh, I think it spoke more about the Chargers than it did the Raiders, but I guess oh, I think so. give them credit but, but for going from zero points to 63 and, points. And that's that's far <laughs> off, and I'll only spend a second on it because it's the final game of the season, and it's many weeks away. Right. But um, the Broncos would like to be in a position where winning that game would only affect their seeding, maybe. Correct. Not absolutely. have to win to get into the playoffs. Now, you know, it looks like beating New England at home and the Chargers at home will be fairly routine business. Uh, one never knows. Uh, we know this. The Chargers have a new coach. It's a little early in the, in the but, look ahead. But, that, but this, this game, it's a non-conference game. But you have two teams not necessarily going in opposite directions, but two teams who, through the first six weeks of the season, did seem to be going in oh, opposite directions. I mean, one were. straight up right. and one straight down. They were. I mean, it couldn't be more You opposite couldn't have started off any than better than the Lions started so, off this year, right? You, you, the Lions started the off beating Chiefs the Super Bowl champs on opening night in Kansas City. <laughs> you know, get better than pretty that. good start. And they started five and one. You know, the, the Lions still seventh in scoring in the NFL at 26.2 points per game. This is a formidable opponent. This is the best team, I think, even considering it's lost two of its last three. Detroit is the best team the Broncos have seen on form since they beat the Chiefs. Here, twenty-four to nine to break that long sixteen-game losing streak to Kansas. I might, City. I might argue that the win over Buffalo was a was a, against a team that was. I understand that they weren't playing all they that great. They weren't playing well though. But I thought they still and they were. They fired their coordinator right. at the end of the game, and yeah, I, I would, I would say again, based on form, not current form, but either way, not it's, current. It's been a month. Form. It's been a month. Not current form. Bare but form at the time. If you think it's me? It's Buffalo, UKC. It's been over you know, a month if, since if, they played a team like this. If you have the choice right now. Who would you rather play, Detroit or Buffalo right now? Of course you'd say Detroit because Buffalo's back in form again. Right. But Buffalo is out of form at that point. They were on the verge, as we know, of firing their offensive coordinator, uh, just as I think we knew last night at halftime, with or without Richard Sherman's I, ta- I talked about it yesterday. I said that if, if the Chargers lost in anything resembling the, embarrassing you heard what fashion, said, right? yeah, Brandon Staley would be yeah, fired. No, he fired him at halftime. He said, I'd fire him at halftime. He said, I'm not a big firing guy, but if ever there was a case for a coach to be fired at halftime, that was it. Well, and you, last you night. put that right yesterday, you know, when you brought up the quote that 
something that has to be done eventually. Yes, what must be done eventually is best done to me. Might as well do it now. Uh, we'll talk more well, about that in a little no bit. Quite, but, and they got the GM, And too. the GM as well. So we'll talk about the Chargers and the Raiders in a bit. But uh, looking at, uh, ahead, we'll look at just we'll use ESPN really Analytics, right? this game. Yeah. ESPN Analytics as it stands have the Lions with a 59.3% chance of winning, yeah, which sounds about right to me. 60-40, that seems yeah, reasonable. Right. But you go the rest of the way, and yes, you're looking ahead. This is as it stands today, but to give the Broncos a 61% chance of beating the Patriots next week, a 65% chance of beating the Chargers two weeks after that, and a 60% chance of beating yeah. the Raiders in the finale yeah. in Vegas at the end. So there is potentially, it's the NFL, obviously, any given Sunday, right? Or Saturday in this case. But there is the potential for a soft landing for the Denver Broncos if they can get past this game tomorrow. It's not a matter of cruising into the playoffs by any stretch of the imagination, but the you would be able to see the end of the road. This also, according to ESPN, a Denver win would put their playoff odds at 65%. If they win. They were 3% Detroit, at one point this time, Sandy, when they were with 1 With a loss, it would drop to 31%. The AFC odds in the West, finishing first with a win, would jump to 13%. Which is amazing, quite frankly. Uh, look, realistically, we, we had Super Bowl 35 winning head coach Brian Billick on the show last week, the former Baltimore Ravens head coach. And I love the way he put it. He said that the Broncos are no longer in the AFC West division. They're in the AFC that's wild true. card division. That's where the, that's And that's the way he, he considered it. The idea is you look at where you are realistically. But said, I don't look, think Billick assumed at the time the Broncos no, would be one game out of no, first place. No, and that's because I don't think either. Kansas City would have played the way it plays. But I think Billick's idea of, look, don't worry about that. Yes. Kansas oh, City oh, still has to secondary. falter. Yeah, that's very And if secondary. you happen to luck into that, great. But you need to think about, you're you're in you're in the wild card race. You need to get a wild card spot, and I mean it doesn't get more pivotal with only three games remaining on the schedule. That sixty five percent of you win and thirty percent if you lose. Yeah, yeah, a little over thirty percent. I mean, but you're right. I, I mean, it's the difference of almost two and three. Yeah, that you make it and versus you less don't. than one and three, less than one and three, a little more than three chances in ten that you make it if you lose. So, yeah, it's a non-conference game, but, but boy, it gets you a what w. a gap. It's the W that matters, right, yeah. in this case, oh, because the the Broncos have earned this by the way they've played in their last seven games, but you you would hate to give up to fight, scratch, and claw. Like I said, they were 3% chance of making the playoffs when they were 1-5. of five. And fight, and scratch, and claw all this way to be in this position, this enviable position in which... What, what do you always talk about this time of year, right? Control of your own destiny. Now, granted, that means in NFL terms, you have to win out, win four straight, and that may not very be easy to do. Just, but yeah, it would be five straight. Five straight, a, a second straight yeah. five, or a second uh, yeah. five-game winning streak in the same season. Those are tough well, to pull off. Yeah, one five-game winning streak followed by a loss, and then, and then another, another five-game five. winning streak. Hard to do. What a finish. But when you earn these opportunities to control your own playoff destiny, and you realize that with a loss, you give that back to somebody else. You give that control to somebody else. True. Those are situations where you have to be able to be ready to bring your very, very best game. The Broncos have to play their game of the year. 
this Saturday to get this win. This is also, and I we'll, we'll talk about the matchup, and we've talked about it this week, but the truth of the matter is on the schedule right now, Sandy, this is one of the very few games on the entire NFL schedule this weekend in which two of the quote-unquote starting quarterbacks are still the starting quarterbacks. Uh, the, the backups, you know, this has been an epidemic around the NFL, the injuries to quarterbacks. Of course, last night you saw two backups at Easton Stake and Aiden O'Connell. You'll see a lot more over the course of well, this weekend. Not, on Saturday, it'll be four games in a row with backup quarterbacks because you'll have Minnesota at Cincinnati, backup quarterbacks in both games. Uh, in a way, third-string quarterback. Browning versus Mullins for right, Minnesota. Third-string quarterback. Right. Uh, you have Pittsburgh with Trubisky, backup. At Indy, Minshew, backup. Right. Uh, Denver with Wilson and Detroit with Goff. Uh, but then you go to the Sunday early games. Uh, you've got Bears and Browns. That's a backup. Cleveland with Flacco, right. uh, who's in effect the third quarterback they've had starting this year, I think, or four. Does B.J. Walker started a game? He didn't uh, the team well, anymore. I don't think he started it's a, a game, but, yeah, but, but it's the fourth quarterback they've used. Right. Fourth quarterback they've used. Uh, Houston won't have Stroud. Right. Doesn't look like they'll well, have Stroud. And Tennessee's got Levis, who is not the starter. Wasn't the starter at the beginning of the year either. The Jets have Zach Wilson, not wasn't, a starter. Nope. Uh, New England has Zappi, not a starter at the beginning of the year. The Giants have the DeVito kid, who's really their third quarterback, uh, with, right. with the first two getting hurt. And uh, what do we have? Um, Atlanta. Carolina. There you have your Not starters. Necessarily thrilled about it, but they but have Ritter and, starters. and Young were the starters, right? And then the late games. Uh, Kyler Murray's finally back for Arizona and has played in recent weeks. Uh, Rams and Washington have their starters. Uh, Dallas at Buffalo, you have the starters. Uh, Baltimore at Jacksonville should have the starters. Philadelphia at Seattle. Uh, I guess Gino's going to play. Gino Smith for uh, Seattle and Philadelphia, of course, has hurts. But especially on Saturday, uh, all three games involve uh, uh, two of the three that precede the Denver game involve uh, I mean, backup quarterbacks. And yeah. they're consequential games for Denver. Minnesota at Cincy, Pittsburgh at Indy, three of the four teams involved in the first two games tomorrow will be uh, competing with Denver Four playoffs. Fully half of the games on the schedule, eight of them, will involve a backup quarterback in some capacity. And so it's, it's a, a little unusual to have one of these games in which the, both the starters are there. And for the, the, the Broncos, uh, yeah, that means it's a bit more of a difficult task. They have been fortunate, like a lot of teams, to have played against some backups here and there over the course of the season, and they've taken advantage of it. But uh, that's just the way it, it goes here. This is a, a road game against a team that plays uh, – Maybe a slightly, I'm not going to say disappointing at home, but maybe underwhelming. The four, a four and two record given their particular indoor, that a completely indoor field, the Ford Field, and, and the surface there. I'm a little surprised they're not a little better for a team that's nine and four to be four and two at home. Well, so here's the maybe thing there's where a window. Vulnerable. And we can, we've talked about the offense this week, and, you know, we'll say it again. Uh, in spite of their recent problems, which we outlined earlier in the week, this is a top five total offense team in the mm-hmm. NFL. This is a top-five rushing offense. This is a top-five passing offense. And as suggested earlier, 26.2 points per game. They are the seventh-highest scoring team out of 32 in the NFL. But here's the rub. 
even in going three and two in its last five games, Detroit has given up 38, 26, 29, 28, 28. They have given up more than 25 points in each of their last five games. Coming out of a bye week, they had the bye week the same week the Broncos did. Right. Broncos had a week nine bye, which seemed to help them. The Lions had a week nine bye, which seems to have hurt them some. They're three and two coming out. Uh, the Broncos, of course, four and one coming out of the bye week. And the Broncos, who were not only giving up more than 25 points a game early in the season, but it seemed like every week we're giving up 35 and on one occasion twice as many as 35. All of a sudden, the Broncos are not giving up points, whether the offenses are good, i.e. Buffalo, or kind of questionable, Cleveland, Minnesota, certainly the Chargers with or without Justin Herbert. So I I think it's a fascinating matchup. You have two coaches who are very, very close uh, in Dan Campbell, who's the assistant head coach for five years in New Orleans with Sean Payton from 2016 through 2020, doubling as the tight ends coach. And you have a Denver defense that in the last seven games, the Broncos, of course, have had a 6-1 and one record, 20 sacks, 18 takeaways, four or more sacks against Detroit, based on the convergence of statistical tendencies in recent weeks, certainly seems like a possibility that the Broncos would have multiple picks of Jared Goff. Seems to be a distinct possibility. Uh, The Broncos have really everything in in front of them that they could want. it may prove out not to be the best time to catch Detroit, but there are a lot of psychological demons that even these Lions have to carry from Detroit teams essentially over the last six years that except for 1991 when they had Barry Sanders and reached the NFC Championship game, it's no success for the Lions to go back to the few good regular seasons they've had have been followed by playoff failures. The Lions have been giving up points of late. Can the Broncos take advantage? There are well, a lot of of reasons to be concerned if the Broncos really can. We'll give you the numbers next on Miley Sports. I got no regret right now. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy gave you the numbers. Over the last five games, Detroit's been surrendering a whole bunch of points, 29.8 per game. So you're thinking, oh, okay, okay, here's an opportunity for the Broncos. Here's the problem, though. The Broncos have only gotten over 25 points. 25. Only three times in the 13 games this season. To make things worse, two of those three times were in the first five games of the season. 
And one of those was a loss in the home loss to Washington. So in the last nine games, the Broncos have gotten over only 25 points one time. Yeah. And so even though Detroit is surrendering almost 30 a game, it doesn't really seem. In the seem, last five. In the last five. It doesn't really seem as if the Broncos, despite the fact they've won, their games can get to that level. And in their wins, they've won with out of the six out of seven, 19 points over Green Bay, 24 over Kansas City, 24 over Buffalo, 21 with Minnesota, 29 with Cleveland. That's one of the three they exceeded 25 points. They lost to Houston with 17 points, and they beat Los Angeles with 24. But think about the turnovers they've created in the short fields that they've had in this run as well, where the Broncos have turned the ball over so much, they went to the league leader, they went to the top of the pile and generating turnovers, and the offense still can't get over 25 for the most part. So you can look at those Detroit numbers and say, but yeah, they've been really vulnerable of late, but I just don't think the Broncos' offense can take advantage of it. We've discussed it earlier this week, and it feels like the offense may be, with the, I guess the exception of Jerry Judy could catch a couple more passes, it may be more or less maxed out. I mean, it's hard to imagine Cortland Sutton performing at a higher level. It's hard to imagine Russell Wilson doing much more than he's doing. Perhaps the running game can get a little better, but again, we, we've talked about this. It feels like they're, a, they're about doing what they could do with the offense, and that means the defense... Again, the formula for victory for the Broncos, especially on the road, you're going you're gonna to have to turn Jared Goff over, yes. I think, if there's a chance to win this game. Well, I agree with the point you're making that Detroit, even in giving up 149 points in its last five games, is unlikely to give up as many points. But let's not forget that the Lions have averaged more than they have for the season in the last five games at 28 points per game. And I don't think the Lions will get to 28 either. Correct. I think that's fair. So, um, over under opened at 46 and a half, now 47 and a half. That isn't a 30 28 game. <laughs> no. uh, you know, that's that's something in the low 20s. Well, we'll be you seeing know, with, the, with the Broncos, right? 24 21 kind of 21 20 win over Minnesota, 24 22 yeah. win over Buffalo. I mean, this is, you know, 19 17 over Green Bay. Well, I, I think if it's in the high 20s or higher combined score, let's say 50 or more, okay? Detroit has the edge. The higher the score goes, the better it is for the Lions. In a lower-scoring game, let's say 49 points or fewer combined, I would like Denver's chances straight up in that kind of game. The Broncos, in these last seven games, as I mentioned, have 18 takeaways. For the year, they have 24. That is tied for first in the NFL. They have forced 13 fumbles. That is first. No tie. That is first by its lonesome in the NFL. Interceptions are a function of increased pass rush capability, and the Broncos have demonstrated that. Forced fumbles, that's more a matter of random chance. And I don't know that the rate at which they've been forcing fumbles, especially in the last seven games, will hold up tomorrow night or even in the ensuing three games. So I agree with you. The offense will have to do more 
then expect the defense to set them up with a series of short fields. Right. But I want to make a point about the Bronco pass rush because I think that's one of the key elements in this game. We know the difference historically between Jared Goff, whether in Los Angeles or Detroit, throwing out of a clean pocket as opposed to Jared Goff throwing while being pressured. Huge difference. I don't know that there is any quarterback in the league who is a top five quarterback out of a clean pocket and a bottom five quarterback out of a congested pocket facing pressure. Here's Denver. The first five games, because of injuries, because of unfamiliarity, Vance Joseph, the first-year defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos, he was reluctant to blitz. He was reluctant to send five or more rushers. In those first five games, the Broncos rushed five or more seven times or more in a game, only twice in those five games. Keep that in mind when I tell you about the last eight in which they have sent five or more rushers at least 10 times in six of the eight games. In two of the last three, they have sent five or more rushers at least 18 times, including the most recent game against the Chargers. Do you blitz Jared Goff? 18 or more times. I think tomorrow night. I think you do. In the last 63 pre- at I last think you do. The last four games he's been pressured 63 times. We we talked about it earlier in the week that of late the Lions offensive line which is generally pretty good but it's you talked about playing to form they haven't been. Well they've late. been banged up and they've been banged up and they've allowed 63 pressures in the last four games. Uh that's a lot. I mean that's a bunch. And when you're talking about that 10 of those are sacks. And so you're talking about a guy that, because he's not mobile. You know, he's had seven quarterback scrambles all year long. I mean, he doesn't really move. But under these pressures, in those last 63 pressures, he's thrown seven tights, he's thrown seven touchdowns and five interceptions in that span. So it's it's not as if he's not terrible. It's not even a negative number, but it's not great. And, and the evidence shows that if you're going to get to Jared Goff, who otherwise, when you look at clean pocket or, or a pocket with pressure, is actually a very efficient, effective downfield quarterback. Goff over the last couple of years, uh, part of what got him out of the, the Rams is what we're talking about here. When pressured, turns the ball over. Well, and when his running game went away, right. too. But when he's not pressured throughout his career with L.A. and yeah. definitely now with Detroit, he dices people up. Well, especially all play action. And, and I want to give you some Goff numbers. Uh, we explored some of this earlier in the week, but th- these are different combination of numbers here. This is Goff since week 11. 40.8 QBR. That's 22nd in the NFL. He is 17th in percentage of completions over expectation. Minus 2.2%. So, basically, the passes he's thrown since week 11 
were expected to be completed at a certain rate, and he has fallen short of that rate by 2.2%. Yeah, just a little, but but yes. It, it's 17. That's not terrible. In other words, he's been... But it's below average. He's been basically it's average. Been below, yeah. well, below even, average. Even a little bit below. You're in the minus, and you're 17 you're out a of 32 quarters. Yep. Okay. Off-target rate. Now, the first 10 weeks of the season... This is one of the more accurate passers in the league, right? Every indicator, including completion percentage, said as much. Every metric. Off-target rate, 17.4%. That's 17.4%. Yeah. That's one out of roughly five and a half, six passes that he's throwing off-target. 17.4%. 17.4%. For Jared Goff, that means he's getting pressure because his accuracy out of a clean pocket is exceptional. It means he's getting pressured more, and as a result, he's missing on throws almost 17.5% of the time he delivers a pass. And... You know, the the Lions, the first eight weeks, were sixth in defensive efficiency. Pretty good defensive team. Yeah. Since week 10, the sixth worst defensive efficiency team in the NFL. So the Lion defense is going one way, and the Bronco offense uh, defense is going the other way. Now, defense doesn't play against defense. I get that. And the point you raise about Denver having to generate more offensively because they can't count on Detroit turning the ball over. Okay, I accept that. But if they intercept Goff more than once and they get at least four sacks in this game, I think they'll win the game. Those are the two numbers for me. Um, We'll get into our predictions a little bit later on. I don't love the Broncos' chances of doing that. But if they do it, I sure love their chances to win the game. Yeah, it does. If they do it. I think that's the way. If they create the that kind of disruption. Way to, that's, the, I think, the most direct pathway to victory. I think you're exactly right. That's the most direct and way that ta- to And that takes away anything they may or may not be able to do uh, on offense. I think the, de- the defense will dictate the terms. Now, again, you know, weather's not going to be a factor. It's an indoor game. And I think Detroit, at least at the beginning, will be comfortable and fired up. But so is Buffalo. And all of a sudden, on the first play, they fumble. And that changes the whole mood in the stadium. And as nervous as this Detroit crowd may be, tomorrow night, if things go a little haywire for the Lions early, the crowd might turn against them a little bit. I'm not saying they'll boom off the field, but there'll be a nervous energy in that crowd, kind of a negative energy force coming out of that crowd. And it's it's a strange game to handicap because the Lions are favored, according to Football Power Index at ESPN, by 3.2 points, and they win outright, as you mentioned earlier, a little more than 59% of the time. But the projected score of the game is 23-22 in all their simulations, favoring Detroit. But, I mean, that's a toss-up. Yeah, isn't and that's, it? that's one play. That's one play. 
That's one turnover. That's that's a difference maker right there. I mean, we've talked about this before. It might though. be a missed extra point. Who knows? Right, right, absolutely. So I think the Broncos find themselves in a pretty good position, and I, I like their chances in this game. I'm I'm not confident, but then again, I I, I haven't I wasn't confident against the Chargers, and so much for that because the the no, pressure that yeah, they've sent. This is a better team, but yes, yeah. I I can see. I, I can see, listen. The, 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 I think the Broncos are strained out at home now. Uh, on the road, it's it's a little uncertain. And, you know, at, at SoFi against the Chargers, especially, uh, I didn't get a 51-14 to 14 vibe the way I did last year on Christmas Day when they went into play in that same stadium right. against the Rams, not the Chargers at that point. But I, I think when you look at a team that is, is blitzing at the rate the Broncos are with the numbers they're blitzing at, as you pointed out, sometimes uh, – it's great that it's working. I do worry at times because offenses are so complex now that quarterbacks can take advantage of it. But Jared Goff historically has not has been actually one of the guys where that's what's kept him from being, quite frankly, one of the NFL's best quarterbacks because he doesn't handle pressure well. And so every time you bring a blitz, it is a gamble. We all know that because you're taking one guy off the middle of the field that could be covering somebody. And a quarterback, if they see it, will be able to take advantage and find somebody open. But this this appears, at least, Jared Goff's not new to the league. This appears to be his biggest problem. And so if you're ever going to gamble on bringing heat, this feels like the game to do it. Starting with the Chicago game at home and finishing with the game in Chicago last week. Last four games for Jared Goff, eight turnovers, five interceptions, and he has fumbled three times. Just saying. That's... Uh... Broncos would take that another time as well. I want to remind you, of course, you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game. They'll also give you two tickets to the game, of course, and a three-night hotel stay. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll get back to the Denver Broncos in a little bit with our friend Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado. But uh, I don't know if Christian Brown has landed yet from his uh, posterizing dunk for the Nuggets last night. The Nuggets bench may be starting to round into form. We'll talk a little bit about their win last night and what that means next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Bounces in. Here he goes. The Jayhawk. It's the <laughs> Christian Brown. They blocks and did like to call on the other end. Good scramble. Brooks tried to jump and said, he said, hey, let me get into Christian Brown's newest poster. Armani Brooks in perpetuity. 
Scott Hastings and Chris Marlowe, of course, on the call for altitude. You know, you, you know when Chris Marlowe's making that noise, you got up. And keep in mind, by the way, a pal Chris is a is a different play by play guy because you think of guys that that were the athletes in their color. Uh, Chris Marlowe in his day got up. This World is a guy that was the captain yeah. of the 1984 gold medal winning right. volleyball team. So uh, uh, Chris he knows hops. Yeah, he's got he had some hops, so he's he knows them. Yeah. And uh, Christian Brown basically just went right through Brooks on that one. And and you're starting to see that bench. It, it's going to take a little bit, but it's starting. You're starting to see that bench maybe round into form. We knew that so it's going to rely on the young guys. We know that Christian Brown was going to have to take a next step. We knew that Peyton Watson was going to have to take a next step. Julian Strother appeared to be maybe the most ready for the NBA, and that has proven to be the case. But now you have three young guys basically getting 20 minutes of pop or close to it off the bench, especially in games when it gets a little one-sided like this. But, I mean, you had an opportunity. Uh, you know it's good when Peyton Watson plays more minutes than Jamal Murray, and Jamal Murray was healthy. That's generally a good sign. Yeah, well, there was no reason to play any of the starters more than 30 minutes, and Michael Malone did not. Uh, in a in a blowout game in which the Nuggets uh, won three of the four quarters big and tied the other quarter, there's no reason to play Gordon more than 24 minutes. Holiday more than 27, starting in place of Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Uh, Porter more than 23 minutes. Jokic 30 minutes. Murray 22 minutes. And a bench went 24, 24, 23, 20, 12, and 6. That's Brown, Watson, Jackson, Strother, Jordan, and Najee. And they were all good. Uh, And uh, Brown and Watson, along with Reggie Jackson, uh, have emerged lately. Uh, Jackson, of course, was starting a lot when Murray was out, starting all the time when Murray was out. And Brown and Watson were up and down. Uh, Maybe Watson a little more up and down than Brown, but we saw last night Watson on the upswing with 18 points in 24 minutes, seven rebounds, five assists, one steal, one block, and just one turnover, plus seven over the 24 minutes. And I I thought the Brooklyn bench, which is kind of like the Nugget bench, young, uh, talented. They got the the Giles kid from Duke. They got Jalen Wilson, who was an All-American at Kansas, and a former teammate of Christian Brown's. Brown is a better athlete, though. I, I think Jalen Wilson might have some basketball skills that are superior to Brown's, but Brown's a better athlete. And the irony in all that is that uh, the year before Kansas won its national championship, Bill Self spent the last post-game press conference of the year bemoaning the lack of athleticism on Kansas's team. And Brown never forgot that and would needle Self the following year as Kansas is on its way to the championship publicly needle him and say, I, I guess our athleticism grew exponentially over the summer. And he was talking about himself because self was talking about Christian Brown among other guys as not being sufficiently athletic. And I think that that is stuck in Brown's craw a little bit. And he's kind of a needler anyway. Yeah. And he plays with just the right kind of edge. And I, I, say that in contrast with a very famous basketball player who is currently under indefinite suspension. (laughs) Yeah. 
who yeah. seemingly can't control that edge, and uh, Christian Brown can do it. And Peyton Watson, who's not fiery, it, it doesn't seem to be on the verge of melting down emotionally ever. Right. But, boy, he does some very interesting things for a guy who, in his year at UCLA, Average couldn't get bar- off the bench. barely over two points a game. The lowest. He's playing more now than he played at yes, UCLA. He, he had Pey- Peyton Watson. Rem- remind everybody here when he was the 30th pick in 2022. Peyton Watson has the lowest collegiate scoring average of any first round pick in the history of the NBA draft. And can we say there were members, plural, of the Nugget organization who weren't thrilled with the drafting of Brown and were downright perplexed and look when at, Calvin Booth stats alone, took Watson. You would That would be defensible, but boy, uh, Booth's instincts in both cases seem to be on point. Also seems to be that way with Julian Strother, who last night did not shoot well, but has started to play some significant minutes for the Denver Nuggets. After the game against Chicago earlier this week, when Strother had 16 points, that the night before he had 22 and five steals, uh, he seems to be learning the game at a pretty good pace. In fact, it is reminiscent to me of Christian Brown, his rookie year. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, this guy's getting it, and it's coming quick. And, yeah, and he played on a top-flight college team, well-coached, right, knows right. how to play. So picking it up fast. Uh, Zach Lowe, the longtime NBA writer for ESPN, uh, on his podcast this week, had a chance to talk about Julius Strother and how his emergence affects Denver's bench. When Murray and Jokic are on the floor together, uh, I still think this is the best starting five in basketball, and I'm starting to see a little, little signs from the bench. You know who I like, KP? Is, Julian Stra- Julian Strother. Yeah. I'll tell you what I like about Julian Strother. This is a spoiler for my ten things column. He can shoot the hell out of it. We know that. Everyone who can shoot with around Jokic is gonna be great. That dude is making plays on defense, like verticality at the rim closeouts strips like if he's a defensive playmaker that's a you, you, christian brown rock solid if strother is rock solid and reggie jackson is rock solid i got to i'm at eight already i'm good whether peyton watson ever hits a three again um is this still your clear favorite to come out of the west and what's interesting to you about denver i think they're still my clear favorite to come out of the west i mean the eight you listed the the one concern is it's awfully small you, you probably need someone bigger than that to pop, whether it's, you know, Peyton Watson, who is a terrific defender and the, the shooting is always going to be a question mark, whether it's Zeke Naji, which unfortunately seems for another year not to be happening, or whether it's somebody that they can go out and add midseason. Yeah, Zeke, Zeke Naji is the, uh, the Nuggets version of uh, a fetch. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. But Peyton Watson, you talk about <laughs> You're offense. You're relentless. Uh, well, show me something then. Show me something, Zeke. I'll, I'm happy to back it off, but show me something. Well, I think he shows you energy every night. He's yeah, there. a lot of guys will show energy. Well, that, not not everybody. Guys, guys you pick twenty. Guys, some pick, guys uh, soak when they come off. The guys, bench. you pick twenty second overall. I'd like to see a little bit more. But Peyton I know, Watson. I know, but he sits six but to ten Peyton minutes Watson a game. After what do you need? well, they'd love to give him more minutes if he could actually. Well, earn he, did, them. he got six minutes last night. Peyton Watson uh, about the idea of never. You know, don't worry if he ever hits a three again. Well, after that podcast was recorded, the game last night, he hit two on his way to shooting seven for ten last night. For 18 points, seven points, and five assists in 24 minutes, it, it seems like that that the bench has 
Okay, we'll give you Zeke Naji here. Uh, energy, <laughs> See, energy. Gosh, he's a tenth he's got guy. Energy. Right. He's a tenth guy. You're right, but uh, but I think the argument <laughs> at the end is true. Give me a better tenth I guy. Think they, than Zeke I think Naji. they need. They do need size. They do need some sort of size, and I think uh, Naji has not been able to provide it when needed. See, that certain teams are going to need it. That's the biggest misnomer. I, I mean, did Zach Lowe say that? Hmm? Did Zach Lowe well, say partner, they needed size? His partner, his partner said, yeah. Partner doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, well your partner doesn't, doesn't, doesn't know what he's talking about. They're, 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 the best re- they're the best rebounding team in the league. I don't care how big they are. I care how much they rebound. They're the best rebounding team in the league, hands down. Okay. And if, hands and down. if Jokic needs a day off, or if Jokic, knock on wood, gets hurt, we start DeAndre then, Jordan. Well, your man Porter will get 10 to 12 rebounds then, or Gordon okay. can get 10 to 12 rebounds then, or Murray can get seven or eight rebounds, or. KCP can get a few rebounds. Christian Brown's a good rebounder on a permanent it's not basis. That they're not good rebounders. Watson's Sandy. a good. Re- Who cares how big they are? You know what big does? Big slows you down. It can. Big slows you down. And this is no knock at DeAndre Jordan, who is a total pro and accepts his role, whether he's playing 12 minutes, two minutes, or no minutes. Well, certainly, yes. I, Speed, but, not part of the equation but there. Don't tell me that because he's big, he's a great rebounder. He's not. Not anymore. He's not. He does have any, as we were just talking about with Christian Brown, he has no hops. No. He can't get off the He's 35. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that, that's where I think they need it. But we'll see. I mean, you know, who knows? It, it, it's the, the good sign for the Nuggets, though, that they are, that that bench is, because the bench, let's face it, what you want, and they talk about the idea of that rotation of eight, you want that youth and that energy, and, and in, Mixing and matching, if Strother comes along at a pace similar to Brown, you'll have Strother and Brown and Watson, and as you pointed out, Reggie Jackson, who has seemed to turn back the clock this year. And, yeah, uh, a little small, but certainly you have the opportunity to mix and match there. Strother, uh, I think, has enough size to play a little bit bigger than his height. Oh, I think Strother, 6'5", 6'6"? Six, six? Uh, yeah, and I, I think he's 6'5", <laughs> and uh, you're talking about, you know, Brown can do it. And Watson is 6'8", and plays like a bigger guy. Pardon me, Strother is 6'6". Six, six. Uh, Watson, obviously, with those long, long arms, plays longer than that, but he's a little slender and isn't going to bang down low with any of the big guys. So when Golden State was winning all its championships, who were their big guys that right. had all the guy that's suspended? Right. Who's six eight? Right. I don't think the Nuggets shoot like the Warriors of their dynasty years, though. Draymond Green can't shoot. No, I'm not they, talking they, about they Draymond two, Green. They, they, they had two shooters, and then when Durant came, they had three. Right. Yeah. Two shooters. Well, I mean, it obviously worked last year. That's fine. I just, you know, I'm always no, looking. I, Sandy, I, I, I'm an I, optimist. I'm always, like, always looking for improvement. I, I just like to see things get better. That's all I'm doing. The, the the Nuggets, other than Minnesota, Nuggets are the best team in the league. And I watched all of Boston, Cleveland last night on NBA TV. What's Minnesota's strength? There was nothing else going on. What's Minnesota's strength? Just curious. What do you think? What's their strength? Anthony Edwards, who is not six eight or six nine. Okay. Any other part of their team good? Nazarene's no. good coming off the bench. Nazarene is pretty big and strong. Anybody else good? Towns has turned his game around. Pretty has big. nothing to do with pretty his big. size, though, because for his size, he's a below-average rebounder. But he is playing to his strengths. He is making fewer mistakes. Gobert's been solid. Uh, but let's face it, Anthony Edwards. Of course. He's a superstar. It. And I'll tell you how good they are. He can now have an off game 
and they can still win after they're down to Dallas 19-4 to last night, the first few minutes of the game. And so they win in a blowout. Parts of their team besides Anthony Edwards can carry. No, no. I'm not, saying, I'm not talking about carrying. I'm just saying that they are so good now and so deep. And you look at their bench, tell me who's big coming off their bench. Yeah. There's nobody. I just Nas Reed is not big. When Nicole Jokic Nas is Reed off, is a hell of a player. I don't love 6'8 guys or 6'7 guys or 6'6 guys matching but, up against Towns and Gobert. Listen, That's you've me. got the best basketball player in the world. Right. His idea of an off game is last night. Uh, 26, 15, and 10 in 30 minutes. <laughs> Ridiculous. The Nuggets will be playing tomorrow night against Oklahoma City. That'll be here in Denver. That tip-off is at 7, and then they will back be back at it against Dallas on Monday as the uh, schedule opens up a little bit for them. The Nuggets have had a really heavy opening part of their schedules. According to the strength of schedule remaining and the, the way that schedules go on rest to back-to-back, the Nuggets actually have already, it's mid-December, the easiest remaining schedule in the NBA. They have a road-heavy schedule. So their record is a lot better than it looks because they've played a vast majority of their games on the road. And a lot of them without Jamal Murray. And a lot of them against good teams and a lot of them without Murray. And I'm telling you, only the Minnesota Timberwolves, who I, I think are really good, but playing right now at a level that is not sustainable, sorry, it ain't. That's the only team playing a better brand of basketball than the Nuggets are playing right now. Boston is really good. They're not better than the Nuggets. Philadelphia is good, not better than the Nuggets. And you have a whole bunch of middle-class teams that are pretty good teams, not great for various reasons. Oklahoma City, Dallas, Sacramento, Lakers, Milwaukee, uh, Orlando, the Knicks, Miami. They're not close to being the Nuggets. And this is December we're talking about, the bench is only going to get better, not worse. I can't believe Sandy didn't mention the in-season tournament champion Lakers in all of the contenders. I did. <laughs> I did. I said yeah. they're in, in the, the mushy yeah, middle. Yeah, mushy middle class, and that's exactly right. That's exactly what they are. The Nuggets will be at it against the Thunder tomorrow. The Denver Broncos will be in Detroit working on uh, Motor City, trying to get a big win. We'll talk about it with our friend from CBS News Colorado, Justin Adams, next on My Life Sports. Hey, 